pre-recorded from Joe's mom's basement, welcome to another Rewind episode of The Stacking Benjamin Show. Hey everyone, I'm Griffin the Intern, or like my real estate agent calls me, Fintern, there's no way you can afford this house. I heard a friend say a house was listed for 1.5, so I thought he meant $1,500, not 1.5 million. Who comes up with this real estate lingo? I figured it was just a really good deal and I'd found a real estate unicorn. I guess deals like that don't exist though, but at least unicorns do. Our episode today is all about real estate, and we're going back to 2018 to our interview with Ryan Surhan, real estate agent and million dollar listing television star. He shares his story of how he went from basement to penthouse and the skills he learned along the way that helped him succeed. I know when he's interviewed, Joe points to this as one of his favorites, and I'm sure you'll like it too. This is a great one, and I don't want to give too much away, so listen for yourself. This show originally aired in 2018, so make sure to ignore any giveaways or mentions of current events at the time. Enjoy, Finn Turn Out. Ignition sequence start. Six, five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and today we're going to help you improve your career. Please help us welcome star of the hit reality series Million Dollar Listing New York and sell it like Sirhant, Ryan Sirhant. Plus, in our headline segment, one bank is offering some of its customers credit card-like perks. Could you qualify? We'll share the details and we'll also throw out today's Haven Lifeline to Ethan, who wonders about opening a college savings plan. Should he open one in his home state or choose another? As always, we'll also answer another question from the mailbag and wash it all down with my incredible trivia. And now, two guys who couldn't sell their way out of a paper bag... Joe and O J-J-J-J-G. We sell directions. I don't ever get that joke. Do you? Like, so sell is your it just way. because a paper bag's pretty easy to rip out of? I, I, I have no idea. Yeah, but it's okay. Doug. Right. So there you go. It's, I mean, what do you it's want? Just thing people say is like wooden nickels. Yes. Right. Welcome to the Bad uh, Platitudes Podcast. My name is Joe Salcihai. I'm Average Joe Money on Twitter. And across the card table from me today, again, the man who is not the fake OG on Twitter, he's the real OG sitting right in front of me. I'm real, but I'm not the fake one. But you're not the fake. Yeah. That was kind of convoluted, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Good luck figuring that out. (laughs) Good luck figuring out any of the show. Actually, we got a great (laughs) show. Ryan Serhant. Do you watch Million Dollar Listing? I do. Absolutely. It's funny. I'm not a reality TV guy, but that's my kind of reality TV. I yeah, love watching absolutely. them go back and forth. Does he forth. know what he's getting himself into? Did, <laughs> I don't did. Know. He's upstairs talking to mom and he's probably already figuring it out right now. Did you right say now. this is like the Today Show? Is that what you said? <laughs> it's just like it. Similar audience size and everything. Yeah. But before we get to Ryan, this episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. 
Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. We are not slacking today. We got Ryan Serhant coming up. We got some great headlines. So let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now, it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamin's Headlines. I'm fairly certain, OG, I think this every time that we do headlines, but today's headlines are awesome. Oh, okay. Yes. Good to know. That's my commentary before we start. And now I, I just set the bar really impossibly high. The bar high. is super high, and... <laughs> I should have said these headlines are, meh, I don't know. Uh, first headline comes to us from USA Today. Adam Shell wrote this piece. Chase Sapphire, familiar with that credit card? A lot of people mm, like indeed. it. Lots of perks. New checking account offers credit card-like perks. Have you seen this? Uh, yes, I saw the article. Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Perks and rewards normally associated with credit cards, the piece says, such as VIP treatment at big events, are now available in a checking account offered by the nation's largest bank. J.P. Morgan Chase is doubling down on its popular Sapphire credit card reward program, by launching a premium checking account dubbed Sapphire Banking. The new checking account gives customers with a minimum balance of $75,000 access to Sapphire lounges at concerts and sporting events, as well as an early crack at tickets before they go on sale to the general public and the opportunity to purchase premium seats. Customers also benefit from waived fees and get commission-free online trades to U.S.-listed stocks and exchange-traded funds on J.P. Morgan's new digital investment platform, You Invest. It's not unusual for banks to try to lure new checking customers with things such as fee waivers, cashback offers, fee-free ATMs, airline miles, and sign-up bonuses, but it's uncommon for them to offer perks such as VIP treatment at events to customers other than premium credit card holders. Quote, the new aspect is attaching non-banking perks to the relationship outside of credit cards, says Greg McBride, chief financial analyst at bankrate.com, access to concerts and lounges, that's the new part. What do you think, man? Yeah, I'm going to sign up for this as soon as I get my checking account balance to 75. <laughs> I'm. Uh, that was at first. Gotta, I thought I got to spend some money to get it down there. 
At first, that, I thought this is pretty cool. This is awesome. And then yeah, I saw your your checking account balance, which hey, it's great. It's a no fee checking account, which also comes with no interest. Yes. Well, the other thing too is you know it's kind of interesting because this comes on the heels of Bank of America. Six months ago, a year ago, they kind of launched a premium checking account that was linked to their relationship size of credit card and banking. And and actually what they did, I liked better, frankly, was that they tied your banking relationship to your credit card and gave you like more points oh. based on your banking size of your credit card, you know, and spending there. So this is just another way for, you know, banks to increase wallet share. I think the biggest thing with all of these, whether it's Chase or Bank of America or American Express or any of these companies that have these like tiered service levels, you know, you got to understand what you're giving up by having, you know, extra money there. But at the end of the day, if you take advantage of these things, I mean, it's fantastic benefits. Yeah, but 75,000 bucks, you got to get a lot of benefit to have $75,000 sitting earning nothing. Well, it's going to earn 0.01. Well, I mean, think about it. So it should be earning 2% give or take. Is that the kind of going rate right now? So 1500 bucks. Yeah. The top we've seen on Magnify Money just last week was 2.25. So you're right. 2%. Okay. You've got several banks in that range now. So you got $1,500 worth of benefits you got to get. And in all reality, you're not going to have all of your money in savings. You're going to have some in a little bit more liquid checking. So so somewhere between 1000 and $1,500 of benefits a year to to break even. It all depends on how you use them. The frustrating thing for me is you see the number of people in the United States who are unbanked, who don't use bank accounts and instead use payday loans and use some of these horrible services, keep a bunch of cash in their house. And it's partially, I think, programs like this are to blame, OG. We've we've heard from experts before that the banking system in America is built on the backs of the little guy who's getting just hammered with fees so they can give discounts to the big guy. Like this is yeah. another reason why you want to be the big guy. You want to be the big guy because they're discounting again. I mean, really, these are discounts. They're discounting again stuff for them. And the little guy's sitting there worried about how they're going to keep enough money in their account to avoid the next transaction fee. To avoid the $9 fee or whatever. Well, and this is, I mean, frankly, like I said, if you're going to do this, you have to go in eyes wide open of what you're getting. But for me and mine and you and yours, I know I'm sticking to community banks anyway. I just think that I get a better experience. Every time I walk in there... I had to do a transaction the other day. I have very few transactions you have to do in the bank, but I walked in. The gal helped me very quickly, pleasant experience, you know, and, and, and I contrast that to the last time that I went into one of the big banks. And it was like, stand here, please. You know, follow this line. There are little footprints on the thing. So you like follow the thing. <laughs> take your hat off. I'm like, take my hat off. Yes, we don't allow hats in the bank. What, really? What is this church? Really? Yeah, well, I get it. A little security thing. Yeah, not, okay. It's not like I had a hooded sweatshirt on a hat. Oh, and a yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> Sir, take the ski mask off. What are Sir, we're gonna, why are you holding a shotgun? <laughs> please, please put the shotgun back in your car. <laughs> anyway, so it just it feels very robotic. Me you know? too. I'm at a community yeah. bank here. When we move back to Detroit, I'm going right back to my credit union that I love there. Yep. Same, same thing. Awesome. Yeah, great stuff. We'll link to this. But story. you won't get your sixty thousand sapphire points. So I'm gonna have to go. Gonna have to, there's a trade-off. I understand there's a trade-off. Our second piece comes to us from the Daily Dot. This one's a little old. This was before I went to Germany. Did I tell you I went to Germany? Um nope. You uh, said something about Bavaria, but I'm not sure. Yeah, wherever Bavaria is. This comes to us from the Daily Dot. A lot of people may have already seen this already, but I but this is such a great financial article. 
Bridezilla Saga sends her fiance and friends fleeing. Did you see this? Uh-uh. For those of us with partners who wouldn't mind a quick lock Vegas wedding, we should thank our lucky stars today. The piece reads, whoever was engaged to the Bridezilla in this recent viral story isn't so fortunate. Planning a wedding is a hellish nightmare that most people would rather just toss to their spouse or relatives to plan, but not this self-centered bride. Story comes courtesy of Twitter user, Old Spicy Keychain. Yeah, Old Spicy Keychain. <laughs> there you go. Who says they found the status in a wedding shaming group they're part of on Facebook. There's a Facebook group for everything. For the uninitiated, wedding shaming is basically a gathering of folks who love to rag on overly gaudy, elaborate, or otherwise totally bonkers weddings. Don't you have something better to do? You would think so, but... But of course, then people are wondering... Teach his own. Don't we have something better to do than even talk about this? But this is good stuff. Our tale begins innocently enough. There's a charming woman from modest means at a fairy tale journey of young love. Our heroine and her partner met each other working on her parents' farm, quickly bonding and falling in love as youths and becoming engaged to 18 with, as the poster points out, a ring worth nearly $5,000. They took their commitment all the way to community college and had their first child at the age of 20. Our two ill-fated lovebirds managed to save up $15,000 for their wedding, according to our author. As all wise and sane people do, though, the couple consulted a psychic for help choosing between two possible venues. Okay. For the first time, the story gets brilliant. Yeah. That's I mean, what, you got to do that. How, that. how else are you going to know which one to pick from? The psychic told them to go for the most expensive option in Aruba, totaling an estimated 60000 bucks. Uh, the psychic was also a travel agent and owned shares in Marriott. Do you think they had to disclose that at the end of the psychic reading? They were not a fiduciary. (laughs) Not a fiduciary psychic. (laughs) They will not act in your best interest. (laughs) Then the piece says, you have to sign a form. (laughs) Yeah. That you understand that this psychic may or may not recommend products and services where they also get paid. Then the piece says, strap in, folks. It's all downhill from here. Oh, yes, it is. Our author requested some cash gifts from attendees. Which isn't all that unusual. It's certainly easier than hauling a crockpot out to out of Target. Unfortunately, our author also asked for a not-so-standard donation of $1,500 per guest. Naturally, ah. naturally, only eight guests RSVP with their checks, signaling the beginning of the end of the relationship. Okay, eight guests said yes. <laughs> like they say, naturally, only eight. And I went, eight? Like eight people fell for that? If... If you're in commission sales, people, if anybody's listening and you're in commission sales, go to this website and find these people that yes. buy this stuff. Because whatever you're selling, vacuum cleaners or encyclopedias, you have a built-in audience. Throwing away 1500 bucks for nothing? That's, Deal. Sign me up. What's wrong with that, Martha? I can't, I can't not follow the can't logic the, in that. Can't miss the trip to Aruba. Yeah. Well, I was going to say that if you're in commission sales and you don't realize it's just a numbers game... Like you need to read this piece. It is just a numbers game. Just find that those people are out there. Oh, okay. The exasperated fiance asked if it would be a bad idea to get a much cheaper wedding in Vegas, which our faulty bride to be just would not have. Unfortunately for her, this was the end of the engagement. Our tragic tale ends with some choice words for the bride to be supposed bridesmaids and plenty of bewilderment that our starry eyed princess turned into a 50 story bridezilla. Just, just, Absolutely amazing. Hmm. I always thought it was funny getting invitations to weddings and other, you know, kind of quasi family events and the expectation of drop everything and come to our party. You know, I've had a number of family 
people who have been married on holidays. And it blows my mind why somebody would do that. And the rationale that I always heard was, oh, well, you're traveling anyway. Well, yeah, dude, that's my vacation. I don't want to spend my vacation at your wedding somewhere, you know, in the middle of nowhere. That's the weekend I have off. It's Thanksgiving. Of course, I'm going to be traveling to see my family. You know what I mean? And then there's that awkward, you kind of got to look at the menu to see how much money you're supposed to give them. Yeah, yeah. You know, because you're like, oh, beef tips and au jus sauce? Okay, you know, that's worth 75 bucks a person. <laughs> but then sometimes you're like, ah, Subway sandwiches. Roger that. $10 a person, you know. No, is that not how you sort out your <laughs> I have wedding never, gifts? I have never done it that way before. You don't wait till you get to the buffet to decide how much the wedding gift is? Like just paying it back for your share. That's horrible. Isn't that, isn't that what you're supposed to do? Minus a little bit because they're friends and family. You figure friends and family get a discount. Minus, minus 10% friends and family <laughs> discount. Exactly. <laughs> well, and plus you got to, you got to rebate the, the amount of like the physical gift. So if you got them a toaster, you take that off the cash portion too. Oh no, no, I don't. Yeah. We don't get people toasters. Oh, you don't do That's both. Bushly. No, we do. We, I just bring my checkbook and the card that I'm going to put in. And then, like I said, we just find our table. It depends on what kind of table you have. So there's like first tier, second tier, third tier. And so if you're you know, in I've the number, if you're I've in the back, in mind. I've got a number in mind, and it gets changed on each section of the or the seating arrangement. And then the food is the, obviously the the deciding factor. And if my daughter decides to throw all her food on the floor, I'm not paying for that. You know, I mean, she didn't eat any of it. <laughs> no, that's right. That's that's even a discount right there. That's yeah. Uh, yeah. No, uh, remind me not to. Thank God I'm already married. I'm not. Don't gonna invite you to anything that's going on. This is crazy. Fifteen hundred dollars to go to Aruba and then blowing up when people don't hand her money. Mm-hmm. And by the way, I would quote when I that's first parenting fail. By the way, when I first pulled this piece, I saw all the Twitter links, and all the Twitter links are gone. So they've erased every single piece of this except mm. the story that I have. But the original stuff that you read from this bride, she was amazing. She goes, listen, this was our dream. I can't believe that you guys can't pony up like 1500 bucks for somebody's dream. What's wrong with you? Like, what the hell is wrong with you? for not? And it's, and it's not like it's a ton of money. It's only $1,500. Duh. Yeah. Like I said, this is a parenting fail. Easy. Yeah. Uh, lesson number one, I guess. Don't bring up your kids this way. Uh, so that they become Bridezilla. And lesson number two is uh, those banking account features may or may not be worth the $75,000 you have to leave in cash to get your upgrade. Not even the free ticket to get the upgraded ticket to go to that Taylor Swift concert that uh, OG's been trying to get to. Only front row tickets for me, though. Upstairs talking to mom is our new BFF, Ryan Serhant. I can't wait to talk to this guy, OG. You know him as one of the stars of two different reality TV series. He has his new Selling Like Serhant series, but he's probably better known still for his role as himself on the popular reality TV show, Million Dollar Listing New York. But a lot of people don't know where Ryan came from. We're going to ask him a lot about that today. After graduating Hamilton College in 2006 with twin degrees in English literature and theater, of course, because all the cool people are English majors, 
Sirhant headed to New York City to pursue an acting career before becoming a successful real estate broker. He currently lives in New York City with his wife, Amelia. If you watch the show, you also know who she is. Mm -hmm. As a real estate expert, of course, he's a frequent contributor to 2020 CNN, CNBC, The Today Show, Bloomberg TV, and now, of course, Stacking Benjamins. I'm sure that's going to make this page. His team at Nest Seekers International sold over $830 million in real estate in 2017. 2018, they're on pace for well over a billion dollars. I got to ask him about that. And was ranked That's a big the, number. A billion with a B. Was ranked the number one sales team in New York City and the number two sales team nationwide by Wall Street Journal Real Trends for 2017. Currently, the Sirhant team's ranked number one for closed deals in Manhattan and ranks number five for closed sales in Brooklyn by The Real Deal magazine. Even if you don't watch Million Dollar Listing New York or Sell It Like Sirhant, if you work at all, Ryan's going to have some great advice for you. So buckle up, everybody. Ryan Sirhant coming down to the basement. And walking down the stairs to the basement, it's Ryan Sirhant. How are you, man? Good, dude. Thanks for having me. Hey, so here's the question. You can sell almost anything. Do you think you can sell a basement apartment in Texarkana, Texas? Absolutely. You know, I was born in Texas. Texas is in my blood and basement apartments are the best. They're cool. Sometimes you don't even need air conditioning. They're a great place. I love it. I swear to God, you can put a spin on anything, man. (laughs) That's the goal, right? (laughs) How to turn a negative into a positive. Absolutely. Well, you seem like such a natural on Sell It Like Sirhan and the Million Dollar Listing shows, but really... Reading the start of your book, it was kind of shocking to me, Ryan. That's anything but the truth about you. You really weren't a natural at all. No. Actually, at the beginning of the book, you know, I really wanted to put out there that I was the anti-salesman. I was a very, very shy, introverted, overweight, insecure little kid that just wanted to do theater because I sucked at sports. If you had put me into a room talking to strangers, I would have had a total panic attack and broken out in hives. Now I'm not that person anymore. So, you know, I wrote it for people to know that the person they are when they're 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 is not the same person that they have to be when they grow up and that anything can change if you put your mind to it. And I never thought in a thousand years I would be a real estate broker in New York City of all places selling a billion dollars worth of real estate a year. I mean, that's that's obscene to me even now to say it. You write about going to New York initially to become an actor, is my understanding. Why the obsession with real estate? I mean, you said that, listen, I could have been working at TGI Fridays. I thought that was pretty funny. I could have been a waiter, could have done these things. I just had to get my real estate license so I could work whenever I wanted to. But you must, yep. have, you must though, Ryan, have had some passion around real estate. Absolutely not. I wish I did. Maybe it would make my story better. But also at the same time, I like the idea that I had no interest in real estate. I didn't want to be a real estate broker when I moved to New York City. I didn't want to, I didn't know anything about apartments. I didn't know the difference between a condo, a co-op, a townhouse. You know, I didn't know, I, I literally knew nothing about the process or the product. What I knew was I had run out of money. I lived in Koreatown. I had a tiny apartment. I shared a bathroom with a hallway full of people and I didn't want to move home and my back was up against a wall. So like you just said, I could have worked at TGI Fridays. I could have been a bartender, waited tables, but I thought my passion was acting, but really my passion was interacting with new people every day. And I just didn't know that at the time. And I learned that after I got into real estate, because that's really what I love doing. You know, real estate brokerage is, has nothing to do really with real estate. Uh, architects, contractors, plumbers, developers, 
those trades deal with real estate. I connect a buyer to a seller and a seller to a buyer every day, which is the same thing I was doing as an actor. I just get paid for it now. Well, that's the interesting thing about your book is it really isn't about real estate. It's about this idea of connecting. I mean, really more than anything, real estate, like you just said, is irrelevant. It's about connecting people. Absolutely. And how to meet as many people as you possibly can, because there are millions of people in New York City every day. There is billions of people in the world. The more of those people that you know, the more of them that you can connect, the better it is for you. And I wrote the book, not just for real estate brokers. I mean, obviously that's what I know the most. And so it'll be great if anyone's interested in real estate or flipping real estate or selling real estate, if they want to read it. But for anybody that wants to have sales as a side hustle, if you're in school and you want to sell shoes on eBay, you can learn something from this book to help you do that and help you do that better and to help you sell more shoes than anybody else. Uh, and it's all about how you manage your day, how you handle the trajectory of kind of your dreams, goals, and desires, and how you connect the dots in the middle. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's even wider than you're giving it credit for, Ryan, because people say they hate sales, but I think we're all selling. We're either selling our significant other, our spouse, or a friend on where we go on vacation next, or our boss on how valuable our project might be to the overall team. Like I think yes. all of that is a piece of that, but everybody says they hate selling. How do you get around this fact that people say they hate selling and you turn it into this thing that's so damn fun. It's a funny thing you bring up because when I did sell it like Sirhant on Bravo for the first season, that's the biggest issue that I kept running into. Everybody wants to make money. They all want to make a living. They all want to be able to go home and relax and not have bills on their mind and be stressed. But they hate the idea of taking money from people. They hate the idea of going up to somebody and saying, hi, can I help you? What are you looking for? Can I show you something else? We have a two for one sale. Like no one likes doing that, which is okay because that's not what good salespeople do anyway. Selling isn't convincing. Selling isn't taking. Selling is when you really look at it, assuring. It's assuring somebody of a choice that they should make or a choice that they were going to make anyway, and they should just be making it with you. And once you realize that, the word assure isn't a scary word. It's not a negative word. You you assure people of, you know, eating the chocolate chip cookie versus the oatmeal cookie every day. Like you assure people that you're the person to go on a date with versus that other guy every day. I mean, assuring is comfortable. Doctors assure you that everything's going to be okay. Salespeople, in the negative sense of the word, are used car salesmen that are pushing, 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 pushing on you. And that's not what this book is about. That's not what being a great salesperson is about. You talk a lot about initiative in your book, and you learned this early on from this guy. I think his name was Ben Kennedy. Is that his name? Because he's like your arch nemesis. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Ben Kennedy. I think this guy, you say there's no aha moment in your book, but obviously when you lead off with it and you talk about how you're failing and then Ben Kennedy comes in your life and you kind of look at what he's doing and it seemed like you made one switch that as long as I've been doing sales... Ryan, it seems like was a huge, important switch. Yeah. You know, I say there was no aha moment because you don't know you're having an aha moment until you look back at it in retrospect. So I meet a lot of people who are waiting for that aha moment and they either already had it or it just hasn't happened yet, but you can't wait for it because a watched pot never boils. But looking back at it, when I was sitting and writing the book and really trying to think about it, Ben Kennedy was an agent from a very different background than I was from, a tough guy. And I wasn't doing a single deal and really depressed about it, wanted to quit every day. And here's this guy, Ben Kennedy, walking in by himself every day 
who was just bringing in new leases, new deals, cashing checks like every day. And it really pissed me off. And I went out and I called my older brother. I wanted my older brother to make me feel better. I wanted to quit. So I was like, this real estate thing sucks. New York sucks. Everything sucks. And my older brother cut me off and he said, stop crying, you little If Ben Kennedy can do it, so can you. Just go talk to him. And that really pissed me off too because I wanted to just like make me feel better and he just didn't. I said, okay, fine. So I went and talked to him. I was like, hey man, you seem really great at this. I'm new at this. I suck. You know, how can I be better? Can you just teach me your ways? And he looked at me and he said, nah, man, I ain't telling you shit. And <laughs> Which is not, uh, by the way, Ryan, which is not what I expected. As I'm turning that page, yeah. I did not, I thought Ben was going to take you under his arm. He was going to show Ryan exactly the ropes, no. the kind of the stuff he no, did. Man. Instead, he gave it you the is, finger. Yeah, exactly. It's New York City. You got to remember, okay? So everyone here is out for themselves and they'll work with you only if you're able to leverage their own current business. That's how friendships are built in the concrete jungle here. So yeah, Ben, that's what he said to me and he walked away. And instead of being even more depressed or more sad or more discouraged, I was like, you know what? There's something to be taken from that. He somehow feels intimidated by me. That's weird. Uh, he does all the deals. I do zero of the deals. Uh, I'm going to figure out how to do this then on my own. And what I did notice from him was that he had like a structure. He would come into the office at the same time every day. He would leave at the same time. He would deposit his checks at around the same time. He would work on his computer for two hours in the morning and then come back in the afternoon. He had this structure, whereas I was kind of running around with a, like a chicken with his head cut off with no structure. And I felt that that was kind of leading and feeding my negative attitude because I felt lost every day. And I realized that as a good salesperson, a salesperson is an entrepreneur. No one's ever going to tell you to sell less, right? No one's ever going to tell you to sell more. No one's ever going to come up to me and say, you know what, Ryan, I think you sold too much this year. You need to, you need to take it down a notch. So <laughs> how do I sell the most? Well, being the happiest and human beings are creatures of habit. So I developed you know, a structure to my day. And I talk a lot about it in the book because no other sales book I've ever read has talked about how to logistically and realistically structure your day. I came up with a system, I think it was like in 2011, called Finder, Keeper, Doer. I broke down my day into three separate sections and I really started being a worker towards the structure and towards the habit. And it changed my whole life. And here I am talking to you. And I'm going to leave that structure, by the way, for people that buy the book, Ryan, because that is way longer than we have time for. But there was a yes, tomorrow. <laughs> absolutely. Tune in. But there was another even simpler lesson that we do have time for, which was this idea of initiative, which I loved about having balls in the air. And, and, and it's funny that just balls change your life. Like, hey, if I have more balls in the air and I'm not focused on one ball, then, then I'm going to do better. When I first started as a financial advisor, and of course, in the beginning days, like in real estate, it's all about initiative. I was that guy that clung on one ball, clung on yes. one deal. And if this, if this a-hole doesn't call me back today, my family's not going to eat. And like you say in the book, that's completely the wrong approach. Yes. Funny side story to this. When I initially wrote the book proposal and sold it, there's a bidding war between seven publishers and the title of the book was Balls Up <laughs> because that's my business theory for sales and for being an entrepreneur is to have as many balls in the air as possible. And if you know how to control that chaos, okay, because Balls Up isn't about throwing against a wall. Having as many balls in the air is about controlling the chaos so that 
no matter what, you know, balls are going to fall and you're not going to catch them because you can't catch them all. But that's okay because you're going to catch more than anybody else. That's my sales theory. And that's how you build a strong sales career that can grow and grow and grow and grow and grow over time. And to do that, you need to take initiative. And that's what Ben Kennedy also told me to take the initiative to go up to someone and open your mouth and ask them how they do it, no matter what they say, to take initiative, to go to the street, to meet three to five new people every day, to put them into your contact list, to follow up with them over and over and over, to take that initiative, to wake up an hour earlier every morning, to jumpstart your day because no one else is going to do it for you like that. Initiative is my favorite word. I was surprised to read that if I drop by your office on a random day that I might see your entire team doing improv. Yeah. You know, you think about practice and I think about a sports team. I think about the NFL. Okay. Some of the top athletes in the world, they get paid a lot of money. A sports team has to work together. No individual quarterback or running back or wide receiver is going to win a game on their own. And they practice all the time. They practice all the games that they actually play that mean anything are like 5% of their actual workload. But as salespeople, we never practice. No one ever practices. So what is the actual practice? If Tom Brady and if Nick Bowles and all the other top players in the world and soccer players and tennis players practice every single day for that one game, why are salespeople any different? So our practice, the way I found it, is two parts. One part is role playing, which is important so that you can walk through situations. The other part is through improv classes because improv classes teach you to think on your feet, teach you to make quick decisions and teach you the power of yes, because any good entrepreneur or salesperson needs to know and feel comfortable in saying yes and figuring it out. Those that cannot do that are the people that will set up office and then file for bankruptcy or the people that will just wait, 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 have analysis paralysis and never actually get anything done and blame everybody else for their struggles. But what else is funny about improv too specifically is this idea of intense listening. Because you and I have both been to these crappy, and you've been to probably far more than I have, Ryan, these, these crappy networking events. Nobody's listening. Everybody's just waiting to blast you with whatever the hell it is that they're selling. And this idea of you have to listen intently to ask the next question, I think is also a huge piece of your success. Yeah, that's not even just from improv. You know, that's something I learned in acting classes my whole life, which, you know, you never would have thought that acting classes will teach you how to be a good salesperson. But the most important thing in acting is breathing, right? Breathing. Hmm. <laughs> and two is listening. So people, I think because we're so self-obsessed and so you know, we're so into ourselves. Everybody loves talking. Everyone loves talking about themselves. Even people who say they don't, you get them to talk about something they like and they won't shut up. So everybody talks so that they can hear themselves talk and they ask questions so that they can give their own response. That's why people start conversations. But in acting, you have to listen and respond instead of just listening to reply. If you listen and you respond you'll get so much further with the person in front of you than you will if you just listen to reply. Is that just differentiation? Because you're the one person who's actually listening instead of just waiting to reply? Yeah, I think it's differentiation. I think it's also the words that you use in the conversation. There are people who say, man, you know, I had a really shitty day yesterday. I'm having a hard time making this decision. The person who's listening to reply is going to go right into, oh, okay, well, Here's what we need to talk about, and here are the comparable sales, and this is why you know we should go through it. The person who's listening to respond is going to say, "Wow, 
I understand what you're going through. What was yesterday like? You know, you, you don't just reply with what you come into the conversation with. Keep that in your playbook for when it's appropriate, but respond to what was just said to you. Don't just reply with what you want to say. Respond with what was just said. Someone said they had a shitty day. Respond to that as if it was the only thing that was ever said in that moment. Which You'll also connect better. Well, which also makes selling more fun, Ryan, I think, because now you've built a connection instead of trying to shove your crap down their throat. Now you're actually, I don't know, there's communion with the person that you're talking to. Yeah. I just wrote an article for LinkedIn that took me forever to write. <laughs> and I'm not like, I'm not a born writer, but I, I have all these thoughts in my head about that. It's important in any business to be able to make a friend in 120 seconds. You have two minutes to make a friend with somebody. And that friend can then be a client slash friend for life. And there are certain ways that you do that. There's certain questions that you ask. There's certain ways that you respond, that you connect to them. And think about your best friend. Like your best friend in the world at one point in time was a stranger. Your partner, your wife, your husband, your boyfriend was at one point in time a stranger. So why can't we make more strangers our friends? And it only takes two minutes. That two minutes creates a connection that can change your life. It's so powerful. I love the way you talk about that in the book too, about some of the connections you made in line at Starbucks. The woman who's pregnant and you asked her if she needs more room. I thought that was yeah, hilarious. Pregnant, pregnant women were a huge source of business when I first started. <laughs> the book is called Sell It Like Sirhat. It comes out tomorrow. And by the way, you can buy the book everywhere, right? Yes, everywhere. Uh, uh, I would be remiss because some people are listening to this purely because they're fans of either of your shows. I have never heard the story and I didn't read it here. How did you actually take this idea? I mean, you're already uber successful, a billion dollars of real estate a year. How do you get on a show like Million Dollar Listing? I would love to hear if you've got a, a 30 second version of that story. I'm sure there's something there. Well, I was not successful at the time. I'd only been doing real estate for just under two years Oh, because I got, I got into the business in September, 2008 when Lehman Brothers filed for bankruptcy and Million Dollar Listing started casting in March of 2010. So I was in it for less than two years. I got onto it because I've been doing it for, I, I kind of knew what real estate was for a year and a half. I had an idea. I had spent my whole life preparing to be on camera and to be on stage. And I thought that I'd put that life behind me to get a real job and just to sell real estate. Um, and there was a casting notice in kind of like the real estate trade magazines in New York City that said that the L.A. version of Million Dollar Listing, which had been on the air for some time in on Bravo, was going to branch out and franchise in New York City. And they're looking for the best brokers in New York City to come to an open casting call at the Hudson Hotel in March of 2010. And I showed up because why not with uh, 3,000 other real estate agents and they whittled it down over the course of eight months. Eight months. Yeah. I just sold myself, man. I sold myself hard. I was going to say at every step, you must've said this, you know, I'm th you've been through enough casting calls, Ryan. You must've been like, okay, I'm done after this round. Yeah. And I also been through it enough and I, I didn't really know if I wanted to do the show. I just kind of went and showed up for it, but I had mentally put acting and TV and all that stuff behind me because it didn't work out and I didn't want to depress myself. Uh, and I was kind of excited about this whole real estate thing that I had just started. So I think probably the big difference, honestly, was every casting call that I'd gone to as a quote unquote actor full time, I took very seriously and I really, really prepared. And I went into it like it was the last casting call in the world. And I think that that shows. When I went into the casting call for Million Dollar Listing, I sold myself, gave him what I want, but I had places to go, man. I don't know, stupid reality show. Like, I, I didn't care. 
And then when they called me back, I was like, really? And then when they called me back again, I was like, really? And I think that that confidence, which is really what it is, played a huge role in it. I think I'll leave you with one of my favorite quotes ever, which I think is important for any salesperson, any entrepreneur, anyone going into a new situation, which might be a little bit scary, either a job pitch or a new client meeting, Tiger Woods playing golf. I can't remember which tournament it was. I think it was one of the masters early on in his career. Final putt, huge putt, lots of money on the line. And he sinks it and does his classic Tiger arm you know, pump and everything. Everyone's excited. And they asked him in the interview after, how did you keep your cool? How'd you hit that one putt? Everything was riding on it. How'd you do it? How'd you calm your nerves? And he said, I played like I already had the money in my pocket. And that said it, that says everything to me. Ryan, thanks a ton for spending a few minutes with us. The book again is sell it like Sir Hant. We'll have a link on our yes. show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. By the way, thanks for not being the Ben Kennedy R show. Although I think it might've been funnier if I had said, Hey Ryan, how you doing? You said, I'm not going to share shit with you. That would have been awesome. <laughs> Next time, let me know. I'll do that. No problem. Absolutely. Thanks for hanging out. All right. Hey there, Trivia Mavens. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. <laughs> Did you notice how I said Trivia Mavens and, and not Trivia Fans? There's no way I'm going to help you fill out your basement bingo card if I, by saying Trivia Fans. Son of a... Oh, it just That one doesn't count. It doesn't, you can't mark your card off. That one doesn't count. Anyway, this is what the fans of the show call the primetime trivia segment. You may have heard of another conflicting show happening tonight, the uh, Primetime Emmy Awards. Yeah, I'm sure they were thinking about sending me an invite, maybe even a royalty check. Probably going to ask me to MC. but being the gentleman that I am, I proactively wrote and let them know that Monday night is Sizzler night. So I'll have to regretfully pass on that one. Still, it got me thinking about today's trivia question. What TV show currently holds the title for most Emmy Awards? I'll be back with your answer right after the break. And now a word from our sponsors at Betterment. Do you want your money to dream big? You want your money to be a total self-starter? Are you annoyed that your money doesn't work hard enough? Well, don't worry. Betterment is here to help. Betterment's the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Their automated technology is built to help maximize returns, meaning when you invest with Betterment, your money can auto-adjust as you get closer to your goal, rebalance if your portfolio gets too far out of line, and your dividends are automatically reinvested. That can increase the potential for compound returns. In other words... Your money's breaking a sweat while you can be breaking bread. You'll never picture your money in the same way again. Betterment, the automated investing and savings app that makes your money hustle. Visit betterment.com to get started. Investing involves risk. Performance is not guaranteed. Well, if you're new to Stacky Benjamins, you may not know that I've tried out a lot of personal finance apps. I like to be a guinea pig and try out all these things. So I know what I'm talking about when it comes to uh, what's helpful and what isn't helpful. And uh, the app that I've used the longest has been Monarch Money. And it's because Cheryl and I, my spouse, were able to collaborate together. We can work on our goals together and our budget and our goals are right next to each other on the app. It is clearly the next generation of personal finance apps. So what is it? Monarch is the top rated all-in-one personal finance app. It gives you a comprehensive view of all your accounts, investments, transactions, and more. You create custom budgets, 
track progress toward financial goals and collaborate with your partner. And now, because you're a stacker, you'll get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. I love the fact that we get to collaborate. I love the fact that it's customizable. And I also love that it's this ad-free privacy you can trust. They never sell your data to third parties or show you ads. After trying out Monarch myself, I totally get why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, because you're a stacker, you're going to get an extended 30-day free trial to try it out like I try out many different apps. And this one was sticky for me because... Well, you'll see when you try out the 30-day free trial. Go to monarchmoney.com slash Benjamins. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash Benjamins for your extended 30-day free trial. Welcome back, trivia aficionados. <laughs> that time I did it right. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Quick question for you. Do you think they'll play the award show at the Sizzler tonight? I don't want to miss out on the dinner special, but I still want to hone in on the type of speeches people give when they win their award. Got to be prepared for my soon-to-come limelight, right? I'm nothing but prepared. But let's get to your trivia answer. Before the break, I asked you this question. Which TV show currently holds the title for most Emmy Awards? The answer? Clocking in at an amazing 71 wins. It isn't Seinfeld. It isn't Modern Family. It isn't even M.A.S.H., The big winner for Emmys is Saturday Night Live. Even more crazy, they've been nominated for 252 trophies. Let's do some mental math on that one. I'm going to subtract the seven and I'm going to carry over the five and then use the square root of... Anyway, that's about 28% win rate. If and when I finally receive the recognition I deserve, I'll be at a 100% win rate. (laughs) Saturday night live. You better get ready because I'm coming for you, man. Big thanks to Ryan for coming down, down to the basement. You know, I love this idea. Oh, gee, that when things aren't going your way in your career, pivot, make it happen. He, he totally is a guy that makes it happen. And he believes that this idea that if you just have more balls in the air, just get more balls in the air so you're not focusing on one thing. Such a great idea because when I see people fail in business, it's because they're just focused on that one deal. And if that deal doesn't happen, yeah, everything kaboom. else blows up. Yeah, not great. Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline and we'll tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency put what you value most. Sapphire bonus points. And my checking account being at 75K. <laughs> It's, and you know how you In got that your, order. The, the way you got your checking account to 75K was by minimizing your wedding gifts. Yes. Yes. That and taking a whole bunch of cash advances from Bank of America credit card to put in Chase so I can get my bonus points. How could you lose with that strategy? <laughs> 0%. It's your loved ones and your time. And that's why they've made buying quality term life insurance actually super unbelievably simple. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free quote. I also like, by the way, their site. You can figure out how much life insurance is the right amount for you. And they show you two different methods. So you can pick much better what fits you instead of some of the rule of thumb sites where one size fits all. Today, we're throwing out the lifeline to our new BFF, Ethan. Say hi, Ethan. Hey, Joe and OG. 
I am a resident of the great state of Delaware, and I'm thinking about opening up a 529 plan. There's no tax deduction for 529 contributions in my state, but it's run through Fidelity, and I was thinking about opening an account now that they have zero fees and just tying it to the Fidelity 2% cash back card and not directly contribute anything, but just using the rewards to fund it. As of this moment, I don't have any kids. I'm about to get married and we plan to have kids. So I figured why not start a little early? Don't know if you guys have any thoughts or anything I might be missing. Thanks. Bye. Great question, Ethan. I like the idea, OG, that he's starting early because college is expensive. Yeah, sure is. Uh, a couple of thoughts here. First of all, with 529s, you're not required to use your state plan. Uh, that rule went away years and years and years ago. And so as long as your state doesn't offer a tax deduction for using their state plan, there's really no advantage to using yours unless it's the best. Tons of resources there. The one that I like to use is savingforcollege.com and uh, rates kind of all the plans and you can kind of sort through them that way. I do like the idea of using the 2% rewards to fund the 529. I'm not sure uh, tactically how that works. I don't have a Fidelity account, so I'm not sure how the credit card reward system feeds into the 529. But if you can do that, that's great. Another service for that is Upromise. I don't know if you ever used Upromise, Joe, but that was kind of the first one of those way back when where you you know you get points for you buying stuff and that sort of thing and it, it actually added up for us to probably about four or five hundred bucks. Yeah, we've uh, we my used, family. You promise is one of our accounts and then we used another plan. So just to yeah. diversify our plans because we had two going at the same time, we used two different states. Uh, but you promise is one of them. The cool thing about you promise, they have their own credit card. You don't have to sign up for theirs. You can just sign up your debit card if you're yeah. somebody that doesn't use credit cards, and you will still get the You Promise points. And yeah, you get the points. Yeah, yep. and now You Promise has expanded that to not just be a college fund. Paula uses it for other types of rewards. So uh, yeah. You Promise, it's the letter You Promise. We have no affiliation with You Promise, by the way, but I use them, and and you use them. Yeah. So. Yep. As it relates to Fidelity's zero fee options for their few index funds there that they launched. I'm not entirely sure whether or not that's going to be offered in the 529 plan. 529s are kind of a weird, funky creation of, they're actually state municipality products. And it's not, it's not as clean and simple as it's an ETF. I mean, it looks like it on paper, but because there's so many people with their fingers in the pie, namely state government, that I, it's, I would find it pretty amazing if they zero-costed those. You can find them really low-cost, but my guess is is that Fidelity is not going to offer the zero fee ones without some sort of back end, you know, charge or something like that. No, but when we had Fidelity on the show just after their announcement, they did announce that they lowered the fees on their five twenty nine yeah. products. Yeah, that's common. So, so just to kind of read the fine print with that. This is a great way, kind of just kind of the big picture here, Ethan. That he's that that you're talking about. Use something that you're already doing. You're already putting money on your charge card. Hopefully, you're paying it off every month. You might as well get a 2% one. You might as well use that 2% if it's Fidelity to put into your brokerage account or to your 529 or whatever. You know, Just stack those benefits on top of one another, whether it's a 529 or a brokerage account or anything else. This is the way to do those things, those reward programs in general. Back to 
kind of what we were talking about with the chase deal. If you're going to do it anyway and you can get something out of it, make sure it's something that you're going to use. If you're never going to fly United, it doesn't make any sense to have a million United miles, you know, just because a credit card is going to offer them to you. Um, but this is an example of something that, that Ethan's got planned to use for a specific purpose, and I love it. You know, what's your thought, though, about a 529 plan before he has a kid? There's part of me that thinks that maybe he should put that money just in a brokerage account so it's more flexible, and then when the baby's born, then move it over toward a 529 plan. Yeah, could be. I don't mind having the money in the 529 early. Again, it kind of depends on some of these other financial goals like uh, retirement and cash reserve and debt payoff and that sort of thing and integration with your future spouse's plans. But, you know, assuming that you've checked all those boxes already, you're saving in your retirement plans and your Roths and your bride-to-be is doing the same thing and, you know, that sort of thing, this is a fine place for it. If it's your first dollar saved, I don't know that I would put it in college. I would have that be for something else. My rule of thumb is fund your retirement first because your kids aren't going to pay for your retirement. But you can always have extra money in retirement that you can pay back your kids with. Yeah, good stuff. Uh, Thanks for the question, Ethan. We also get letters down here in the basement. And today's no exception. Doug just brought down the mailbag. And we've got this letter from Sarah. Sarah says, I'm home sick. My voice is shot. So I thought I'd not horrify you by trying to leave a voicemail. My husband and I went nuts on attacking debt in 2017. We paid off about $66,000. Holy smokies. That is going cray cray. Nice work. You cray cray. We're building up an emergency fund and just realized that our bank converted what I thought was our savings account to checking. I don't think I ever misused the account with too many withdrawals. It's made me wonder where I should be parking our emergency fund while we build it up and how much we should be putting aside. We have about $6,000 now, scarily low, I know, and about $140,000 salary. We have four kids, one at a state university, one community college, one applying to colleges this fall, and one blissfully enjoying (sighs) teenagerhood, completely oblivious to the pending reality of adulthood. Yep. Hold two in college now, one getting ready to go. I'm generally blissfully unaware of adulthood, so I know the feeling. Yeah, I I can vouch for that. How much is too much emergency fund when you're doing FAFSA? And hoping for real financial aid. That's a good question. She says, my kids have mostly been offered loans as their financial aid, but thought with a third kid headed to college, we might qualify for some help. They aren't taking the loans, but are working, applying for scholarships and cutting living costs. We're cash flowing the difference. We've put off repairs on the house, vacations, et cetera, while getting out of debt. We've got a lot of non-frivolous things we could do with funds if they're not an emergency fund, new roof house repairs. I try not to learn anything listening to your show, but I have to say it's one of the things that kept us motivated and upbeat while plowing through our debt. That's great to read, Sarah. Thanks for listening. And I love this idea of paying attention to the FAFSA and paying attention to expected family contribution because, oh, gee, people just by having money in the wrong place, they could lose tons of money. You know, generally speaking with the FAFSA, the more that the child has in their name, the more it's going to count for college. The government assumes that any money that's in a kid's name is is fair game for college. Basically, you can use a quarter of it or more for each year of school. For mom and dad, if they have money, it's considerably less, maybe 10 or 15% is what they assume can be used. But I don't think that you let that tail wag the dog, so to speak, because when it comes to financial planning, when it comes to your own personal safety and security, we don't want to risk it against the hope or potential of getting a few dollars extra on some Pell Grants or something like that. Well, and the good news is, Sarah, $6,000 in your savings account isn't going to be enough money to trigger the FAFSA anyway. They give you 
a certain amount of money and it changes every year. But yeah. but they give you a certain amount of money that is they realize that you have to have an emergency fund and six thousand is less than that. So I'm not going to worry about making sure that that's uh, not considered or is considered in your expected family contribution. The thing I think about the expected family contribution, though, I'm wondering about those loans because here's where I might disagree with OG. If they're being offered subsidized student loans right now, that means they're qualifying for need based aid. But not enough to get the Pell Grants or to get yeah, not other, enough to get it free. Yes, but that third kid in college, Sarah. To your point, boom, John, take another drink. The, another uh, shot. Yeah, for those of you new to the show, John's playing a game at home. <laughs> and, 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 He's hammered by thirty minute mark. <laughs> but with that third child in college, there is a piece of the expected family contribution that revolves around how many kids you have in school at one time and how much you're paying out. So if those are unsubsidized loans, like OG said, I don't know that I let the tail wag the dog. If those are subsidized loans right now, I might make sure you're very careful about how that expected family contribution works because things might be a change in next year. So would you take, because she's cash flow in college right now, would you take the subsidized loan to forego writing checks to build the cash reserve it's zero interest for the next four years and then say, hey, in four years from now, I'll just write the check. Well, this Give is yourself a little cushion or is that too risky? This is a family by family issue because here's what this comes down to. And it's exactly what you just told Ethan. My feeling is and your feeling is, which might not be Sarah's feeling or her husband's feeling, you should focus on your own retirement. And my gut says if you're dealing with 66,000, if you paid off $66,000 in credit card debt and you still have more to go that your retirement might not be what it should be. I would take the subsidized loans, tell the kids, congratulations. Welcome to adulthood. Yes, you have some loans. I'm sorry, the average person out of college has student loans. So if they have some student loans, then they have some student loans. But which would they rather have? A few student loans or would they rather have mom and dad living with them in the spare bedroom because they have no retirement funds? Yeah, this is probably a uh, more complicated discussion than we'll get the correct answer to today. I do like the idea of focusing on the order of operation to get everything back on track. Too many of us, and I hear it when I talk to people on the phone every day, there's this very linear process of financial planning, and there's some different divergencies along the way, but but they kind of work the same way. And a lot of times people look at it and go, okay, I understand that I got to do steps one, two, three, four, five, and six, but I really like step seven, eight, nine, and 10 also. Those are the ones where my $2 million investment accounts paying me $100,000 in dividends. You got $75,000 you know, in your checking account? I got 75 grand in chases <laughs> throwing sapphire points at me. Like those are the fun things. But if you try to do that stuff and still have consumer debt or try to do that stuff and not have a cash reserve, you're going to get constantly sucked back into this malaise of, you know, no control and the sensation that you'll have. Yes. The sensation that you'll have when you have that fully funded cash reserve is unmeasurable. And for those of us that have it, you know what it feels like for those of us that have had it and lost it. We know how that feels. And those of us who have never had it, we know how it feels, but trust me, when you have that fully funded cash reserve, you will sleep better at night. So I would move heaven and earth to get that accomplished and follow the process in the right order. You've got the debt paid off, or at least it sounds like a whole bunch of it. Let's get that cash reserve. You said, you said how much should I have? I don't know. It depends on how much you spend. But 
But if you're making 140,000 a year after taxes and that sort of thing, you're probably bringing home 10, 11,000 dollars a month, you know, after benefits and taxes. So, you know, I might I might want 30. So if you're at 6, you might have a year to get to that 30. You might have to take 2018. 2017 was the year of paying off the debt. It might be 2018 and 19 is the year of funding the cash reserve. Getting reserves to the point that and you want And then go them. back to how do we fund retirement, con- juxtapose sending the kids to college and that sort of thing. I hate student loans. They are terrible and it sucks to have them. But to your point, Joe, <laughs> boom. You know, what would you rather have? Do you want your kids to have? I mean, I've had that discussion with clients. I'm sure you have. I distinctly remember a client walking in at age 70 and going, hey, I want to retire in five years. He owned his own business. And I said, are you going to sell a business for anything? He said, well, no, it's just me. You know, there's nothing to sell it for. And I said, what's the plan? His name was Ed. And I said, what's the plan, Ed? And he says, well, I don't know. I just, you know, I could figure I'd save like 20 or 30 grand a year. He had no money saved. He was 70, but he paid for his four kids to go to college and they all had master's degrees in cash. He paid for it. And when it hit him that he screwed that up, and he looked at me and he says, did I screw myself by paying cash for my kid's college? I went, I don't know. Are they super rich and can send you the money back? Because that's what you're going to need. So I would much rather have too much in retirement and then call my kids and say, hey, sport, mom and dad weren't able to make it happen when you were in college, but just met with our financial planner and we've got enough. So I'm going to cut you a check to pay off your student loans now. Yeah. You know, I would rather do that at 65 and just it just sucks for the next 10 years than get to 65 and go, hey, son, mom and dad paid for your college. Also, we're out of money. So I like that idea because it's easier for you to help others when you're already on stable footing. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for the question, Sarah. If you've got a question for us, head to stackybenjamins.com and at the top of the page, you will see the questions for the show link. Click that link and it'll tell you all the ways that you can interface with us. That's going to do it for today. Y'all come back and see us now. You here? You here? Coming up on Wednesday's show, we got our good friend Doug Goldstein, my co-host from the Money Tree Investing Podcast, joining us to talk estate planning, which is uh, always a fun topic, either getting inheritances or, or giving inheritances. We'll talk about those things on Wednesday. Lastly, if you're somebody looking for good financial help in your corner, OG's financial planning firm is taking new clients. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash letter O, letter G, that's slash OG, and uh, that will get you on the calendar, and you could talk to them more about making your financial situation better. All right, that's going to do it for today. Doug, what should we have learned today, man? So what should you have learned today? First, is your career not going the way you want? Maybe you need, as Ryan Surhan said today, more balls in the air by focusing less on that one big deal and more on massive activity, you'll find opportunities come walking towards you much more often. Second, thinking about adding the reward point game to your checking account? Maybe you should check out what strings are attached before jumping in the deep end of that pool. But the big lesson? Don't invite Joe's mom to watch the Emmys with you at the Sizzler. Not only is she going, it turns out that because I invited her, I'm driving and I'm buying. Time to go clean out the El Camino. Jeez. 
Special thanks to Joe's mom for explaining to me how the Emmy nomination process works. Looks like I'll be sticking to my own award show for a while. Big thanks to my best friend, Ryan Serhant, for stopping by. I'm sure he's going to have me on either Million Dollar Listing or sell it like Serhant real soon. But until then, if you want to sell like both Ryan and me, pick up his book, Sell It Like Serhant, wherever books are sold. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and if you could only know what it really smells like down here. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. I don't know if I told you this, but but I went to uh, I went. I knew to where this was headed. I went to Germany. Did you know that? I can tell. So I'll j- I think you're supposed to leave the later hosen there, though. I'm not sure you're supposed to wear it around Texarkana. Is it it little, does look a little funny. Is it a little uncomfortable? Do, do you know how much leader hosen costs? Yes. That stuff is. My next question is why, <laughs> but I'm afraid to ask. <laughs> I'm looking at the leader hosen, four hundred, five hundred, six hundred. $800. I mean, but those are in euros. It's fake money. Oh, you yeah, just, that's right. You let American Express sort it out. You're like, euros? That's not real. Oh, fantastic. Like yeah. As much as possible. Hey, is that a Kenneth Cole shirt? I think I have that same shirt. Uh, I think it is, yes. I had that same shirt, I think. Oh, you had- Did I leave it at your house one time? Did I walk home without my shirt one day? <laughs> Did you hear all that? That's what all that whistling was. All those cat calls. I was wondering what happened. <laughs> so, so anyway, I, you went to Germany. Well, I just want to tell you us with your stories of. I just want to tell you a little bit about my trip, please. I can't wait. So that then I don't have to talk about it anymore. Bullshit, Nikes. You're going to talk about it a lot. I will not. But this was cool. So usually, I'm a guy who goes for the least expensive rental car available. We get to the Frankfurt airport. And in this particular case, because it was our 25th wedding anniversary, I just went and went for the most expensive car that I could find. I wanted to get a sports car, but they didn't have any on the website, on the rental car website. So I went with the Mercedes E-Class, which was the best car they'd let me have. But listen to this. We get there and the guy, no idea that it's our wedding anniversary, 
just looks up and goes, you know, usually we charge extra for this, but I'm going to give you guys the convertible. So I was, I was driving through the Alps in a Mercedes E-Class convertible with the Mm. top down. That was Mm. so great. Fantastic. Pretty cool. But so, uh, I'll just tell one little story, which is that we, Oh, this is the second story, but go ahead. Which is nobody's counting. Which is, which is we went to, we went down uh, what's called the Romantic Road in Germany. Thanks, everybody, by the way, who wrote telling me I should do that. It's a fantastic trip. Just a little medieval town, one after another, but then across the Alps. But every day, because we don't know the restaurants in these towns, and the guidebook recommendations were kind of sketchy, we relied on TripAdvisor. Usually, TripAdvisor gives us great recommendations. We've had a ton of success looking at TripAdvisor restaurants. Didn't we have the story a couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago about the TripAdvisor restaurant that really wasn't a restaurant, that the guy gamed the system in the UK, got to be number the number one rated restaurant? And are you kidding me? No, that we wasn't us. We talked about this. Did we? Must have been my other podcast that I'm on all the time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, th- so this guy decided that he wanted to figure out if he could scam TripAdvisor. So he blew it up. You know, however those, however them crazy hackers do it. And so he made his restaurant the number one restaurant in the UK on and, TripAdvisor. And it didn't exist. It didn't exist. It was like his backyard. So so then people, sh- he started taking reservations and people would show up and he like microwaved spam and mac and cheese. And he had like, he had. Uh, we didn't talk about this at all. Oh my gosh. I'll find it. We'll have to talk about it some other time then. Oh, that's fantastic. Okay. Well, well, anyway, so you went to TripAdvisor. Yeah. So, and, uh, so, so usually when I go to TripAdvisor, you know, it's it's once what I travel maybe once every six weeks, eight weeks to some place I haven't gone before. So I don't use TripAdvisor. I use it a fair amount, but not, <laughs> but, but, but but not a ton. <laughs> uh, you know, what every six weeks or something, I'm in a new place. I mean, I don't travel that much, but go on. Okay, maybe only less. fifteen times a year am I in a new place. Yeah, but anyway, anywho, as Mom so says, I was in Germany. So we're back in Germany. I'm looking through TripAdvisor. And when you use it for at least one or two meals a day, and you always go look at the best reviews, you look at the recent ones to make sure the place is still operating. Learn that lesson. Mm -hmm. And then you go to the recent reviews to see what's happened lately. But then you go look for the worst reviews and see what the people that hate it, what they really think. And over the course of the first week of this two-week vacation, we read so many baloney TripAdvisor reviews. Like these people have way too much. How much much, baloney did you have? They have so much time on their hands. They have so much time on their hands. I will say this. I won't answer your baloney question, but I will say that I have had my fill of uh, German sausage. I've, I've, I've met my, I I met my quota for 2018, 19, and I'm well into 2020 in terms of my overall quota and sauerkraut. I'm working on like mid 2019. Well, mid 2027. Because I have sauerkraut once every 18 years, whether I, I need a, a helping or like not. Once once in my life, and I was like, I'm never eating that again. It's actually way better in Germany than it, than the times I had it here. It's it's less sour. Not surprising. Yeah, it's no, much more that. smooth. It's more crowdy. It's more crowdy, less soury. Yeah. Got it. Halfway through the trip, though, we start laughing, and we became really good the second week of coming up with our own one-star reviews for every damn thing we did. Everything. Like we went on the Frolei Maria bike tour of Salzburg, where they did the Sound of Music, and so we're we're by the way we're biking around this beautiful city of Salzburg, and Please tell me you're singing with well the dude leading it 
has a boom box and has, it's a Bluetooth boom box and he's playing the sound of music and we're biking around town with the, the sound of music. Are alive Doe, with the a sound deer, of a female deer, deer, ray, a drop of golden sun. Yeah. Just blaring as we, and people looking at it was, it was, <laughs> people are going, Oh God, dumb Americans. <laughs> it was pretty awesome. It was so who, bad. Who, who is the but, star in that? Julie Andrews? Yes. You know, must be like the most hated person in Germany. Well, you know like, what they oh, said? Sure. What the guy said? The movie never got big there. The movie never got <laughs> big think? in Austria. It's because they're like, yeah, it's just so like it was a, they videotaped some dude's Tuesday. Pass. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah. Uh, really? All these sites from our hometown? No. Okay. But we're biking along. <laughs> and I said, Recently, we had the opportunity to visit Salzburg, and we went on the so-called Fräulein Maria bike tour. I never realized on this Fräulein Maria bike tour that it wasn't a motorbike. We had to pedal the whole way. One star. One star. Like, that was horrible. In Vienna. You didn't really do this, but you guys were thinking of it. Oh, oh we, just, we got really good at quoting these back and forth to each other. When we're in Vienna, recently on a trip to Vienna, Austria, the wife and I by the way, that's my favorite, like the wife. And so he says, the wife. And I'm like, oh my, this is just somebody from 1971. The wife and I had the opportunity to go visit a composer's house, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart. We get halfway through the house and I realize this guy's not even alive. He's been dead for a long time. Save your money. Don't go because he's not really there. One star. We visited King Ludwig's castles. And King Ludwig, they stopped this work on New Schwanstein, this big, beautiful castle that's built on a rock up in the mountain. It's gorgeous. But it, they only got a portion of the castle finished before the dude was murdered. And when he was, when he was murdered, they immediately stopped work on the castle. We're halfway through that tour. One star. Turns out dude didn't even finish the place. You'd think when I'm paying full price for this thing, they would have a finished castle for us to visit. I walked around and realized that this is only a half-finished Piece of, piece of dirt. <laughs> now I understand why the fee's so high, because they're using my money to finish it. So buyer beware. This is just a big tourist trap. Stay away. One star. One star. But you see, you know, I was talking to Paula Pant about this uh, from Afford Anything, and she was telling me that on TripAdvisor, there's people who review Taco Bell. Mm. Like, like, who reviews Taco Bell? Recently on a trip to Texarkana, Texas, I happened upon this little Mexican establishment called Taco Bell. Lovely place. I met the manager, Stan, who had some of the best tattoos I've ever seen. Seriously, if you're if you're and nearly all of his teeth. <laughs> if you're driving through if you're driving through Texarkana, stop and say hi to Stan and have him show you his right forearm. But <laughs> while my while my wife ordered the Gordito, which was delightful. I went for the number one. I paired it. <laughs> she paired it with a side of Cinetwist <laughs> and a Diet Pepsi. Which I highly recommend. <laughs> I went with the number one in a Diet Coke. Imagine my surprise when, as I'm furling the bag, I see that not only is there a Burrito Supreme, but there also is a hard shell taco. And on top of the, on top of the nearly realistic meat, they... <laughs> They spread evenly both tomatoes and lettuce. And because I got it with the cheese, they had just perfectly shredded cheese across the top of my taco. One warning, though, I told Stan to tell the chef 
whoever makes that salsa packet, it could be heartier. <laughs> Five stars. Five stars. <laughs> Well, Stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans. And all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org slash celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender.